Pashas Miketz. Hanukkah. First night of Hanukkah. A big jump. This afternoon, we are preparing for Hanukkah. What relevance did we see from it? What did we have from it? Nothing much. And now all of a sudden, we're in Hanukkah. Chassidus tells us that during the days of Hanukkah, Malchus is Eile Nihi. What a spectacular expression. Beautiful mime, actually. Malchus is Eile Nihi. When we were Bachrim, we learned that Maimah. One of the Bachrim got so in sick to the idea that Malchus Zayla and he just couldn't get over it. Walked around saying over and over, repeating to himself, Malchus Zayla and he. There are ten spheres. Sarifka. Chesed, Gvura, Tzveres, Netzach, Hei, Yisrael, and Malchus are the last seven. Start, of course, with Chabad. And we have the last seven of the attributes, which begin with actual attributes of Chesed, Gvura, and Tzveres. Every person has within their, soul, in their own soul all of the ten attributes. What's interesting to note is the way in America and English the expression is the way it plays itself out in the person. You have the leader, the natural leader, who his malchus comes out more than anything else. You have (coughs) the geek who is way up into his chachma, into his bina, into his das, into his mind, into intellectuals, but doesn't actually focus on what goes on. You have the kind person that gives the shirt off his back, that can, that can, can't control the shirt on his back. You have the, uh, you have the bully, the courtyard bully. Is he anything special? Is he what's so great about him? What's so special about him? Nothing. However, we quote unquote uh, stay out of his way. People spend their years staying out of the way of the bully. Nobody wants to be in the bully's way. Nobody wants to get in his skin. Nobody wants to get under his skin. Nobody wants to get in his line of fire. <coughs> But the courtyard bully, the school bully, 
has his hanger on it. The guys that that almost feel he's cool, but really are intimidated by him. And their intimidation gets translated into different ways. This is the Balgvura. What was Yosef's actually nature? We know Yosef as a geek, really. We look back in the beginning. Yosef wore this multicolored garment that his father bought him. Was extremely proud of it. Got himself into more trouble than anything else in the world because he was combing his hair and putting on perfumes. So the whole, his whole, the whole punishments that he went through was because of the salsa basada, etc. He's scared to open the bottle. It was cold outside. It was outside. So, in essence, he was a geek. He was a neb. And where does Yosef all of a sudden surface? As a king, no more, no less. He didn't come to the courtyard bully. He came the king. Fact of the matter is, there are people that respect the geek. They appreciate the geek's values. They look at the geek. And they say, wow, he's consistent. Just off the record, probably one of the only attributes a person has that gains them more respect than anything else in the world is consistency. A person that's consistent, in the beginning, people will call it OCD. We've got a name today, a scientific name, OCD. What's it stand for? Occupational what? In essence, I got I got today a text. I got today a text. Somebody called me OCD. The reason they called me OCD is very interesting, actually, because he um, I sent out the Hanukkah text in two forms, in two 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 rooms, two groups that I have in my phone. One is the Shear group. One is the Pasha group. Pasha poem that I send it every Friday. A lot of the people are in the Shia group. So the guy got both. He got from this one and from that one. But at the end of the Shia group, it adds that the Shia is tonight. So he says to me, uh, OCD, I got it twice. So I told him, You're a geek if you would have read it. Just me. Actually, uh, I'm, I'm the same one. I got mm-hmm. it both. There you go. Now, OCD is a very, very sick sickness. 
if it's a sickness, I must say I suffer from it horrifically. I um not really enough from the the clinical clinical cases, as they would say. But I am from the uh, recently in, in seven seventy they changed the parochis. Is for Tisha they change it? They change it back now. Before Tisha, throughout the year, all the rings on the Arkadish were in one direction except for one. Now, a lot of people in the shul noticed it. I'm sure it was a joke, a running joke, whatever it might have been. Nobody said anything about it. And I don't know how many people were actually affected by it, per se. Me, it affected. I come to shul and I would stand there and all of a sudden it would just bing, hit my eyes. I could not peel my eyes off of the stupidity. It was a strange feeling. Last Shabbos, a fellow showed up in shul and had nowhere else to sit in shul but two benches in front of me and had a real, shall we say, botched up haircut in the back of his neck. I mean, it was just so uneven. It was like they forgot to do the other half of something. It was just a nightmare. <laughs> I couldn't have him. I couldn't daven. I kept staring at him, staring at him. And I told the guy who sits next to me about it, and he gave me such a zet. He said, just look at your sitter and stop being an idiot. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't find my place. And then you have the ADHD. Attention deficit. Hey, donuts. Um, the middle came and finished translating ADHD. The attention deficit is so bad that all of a sudden they start thinking about something else in the middle. Okay. Okay, good. Nothing like explaining a joke. I write that down on the pleasures of my life. Yosef Atzadik. Back to the original subject. We shouldn't get into too much of a tangent about my uh, hang-ups. I'm going to start getting emails of, from different psychiatrists how they can help me. Um, Yosef was dual personality. Yosef was, was... What was going on here? What happened with the same fellow who was so idle and fine, was the apple of his father's eye. So refined and so... so and all of a sudden he became this king a ruler, more than just a ruler, he, he had an iron fist, he ran the, ruled the country here with an iron fist now. And he wasn't ruling, um, you know, just average schmobagels, he was ruling a country that was... Strongest army in the world. Well, there weren't many armies, but he, they were, they were hardline people. They were tough, tough people. And we see... We see later when they enslaved the Jews, they weren't, they didn't go easy. And they concocted many, many different, shall we say, not punishments, but, but ways to torture the Jews. It wasn't obviously as evil, probably, as it went on, or maybe it was. Maybe it was the same that went on in the Holocaust. Who knows? Who knows? 
definitely the Spanish Inquisition <coughs> was just as bad, if not worse. And definitely the Romans were that bad. And the ultimate miracle of Hanukkah, which we now are celebrating. But Yosef was sitting in Mitzrayim. And Yosef ultimately, he got hardened. I'm not going to deny that he got hardened. He got he, he dealt a, a, a tough bullet, and he had really no other choice but to, to as you say in America, suck it up and become a man. There's nothing to talk about. He had to fight his way to the top. He had to fight his way for survival. Everything he had to kick and scratch for it was not a simple issue. Question is though, what 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 was lying underneath the skin of this fellow that brought him to such a level that he was able to rule such a country? The truth is, when we look in this story, we look at the actual Torah. What Torah tells us, he took. And said though, with refinement, with Edelkeit, that it's not me. And he constantly reminded everybody that everything that you're experiencing, everything that you're seeing, everything that you're hearing, it's not me, it's God. It's all coming from God. My translations, my interpretations, my ideas, everything that is all coming from God. Now the concept of a deity, the concept of, of a god in the world, Egypt was quite religious. Their god was the Nilus, the river, the Nile River. And that's why they were always in denial. But why and how was this their god? Because Egypt got very little rain. Very rarely did it rain in Egypt. And the only way they can get any kind of irrigation to their fields was when the Nilus overflowed the the fields. And it was a miraculous concept that it overflowed if there was never rain. So, the, the nature of the beast, as you say, goes into the idea of Elikim. Elikim, the name of God, is the same gematria as the word Hateva. So this explains to us the same gematria of Aleph, Lamed, K, Yud, Mem, is the same gematria as Hateva. The nature. And therefore, what is he trying to tell us with that? <coughs> what he tries to tell us that is that God conducts a world in such a way that we could almost think that it, nature takes its course. We could almost attribute everything that's going on in this world to a natural happening. Through wind, through sun, through too much heat, through too much cold, global warming, global, I don't know, and, and, and the thermal underwear, whatever you want to call it. All these things have its own natural reasoning as to why they exist, why they work, and how the world... What? 
probably got to turn off his steam and do him so much global warming. Oh. He lives in a boiling house. Okay, stop. How is she recording you? The world, though, doesn't run that way. The world is run by God. There's nothing that happens by accident. Nothing that transpires in this world that is not from the hand of God. And therefore, it is a mind frame. It becomes a a strong twist of, of the mind, actually, to be able to keep it in that vein. I had an opportunity last night, I met a fellow, I met with a fellow. We went to the aisle together last night. Believe it or not, I happened to go to the aisle, I haven't been there for a while. Like since last week. Um, <coughs> how did I meet this fellow? I did somebody a favor, and I took them where they had, they had to go somewhere here in Brooklyn. So I sat outside in the car waiting for them. And I see, coming across the street is a well-dressed man. Not for Brooklyn streets. Nice trench coat, car tie and everything. Got a shopping bag and he's got a sign, a poster. Across the street there's a truck called Push. Push. New drink. New company, drinks. Don't have any on the table. And I said, I see this fellow, obviously he was not American, but he wasn't English speaking in the first language. And I said to him, Felicidades. Congratulations. And uh, I said, Mucho suerte. Much luck. I had no idea. I thought maybe this is the owner, or not the owner, whatever. The guy looked really who's going to push his. Push, push. And, um,. He, st- he got so excited, he, his eyes lit up, his face lit up, and immediately he reached into the bag and he, and he says, here, try it. And he took out an iced tea. I said, is it kosher? And this is not a Jew. And he says, seguro, he says. And he shows me the heksha, or you on the bottle and everything. Okay, great. I thank him profusely. Instead of continuing going to the store, he's going to, he turns around and goes back to the truck. So maybe he forgot where he was going. still waiting in the car? I'm waiting. The guy was stuck in the car for a while. This is the story of my life. I'm always stuck somewhere, so do me a favor. <laughs> um, give me the fresco, please. So I sat down, and uh, so all of a sudden, he comes back with another guy. And uh, this guy is, is, is talking to me now in another language. In our language, he's talking Hebrew. Shalom l'chak for the Rav and everything else. He's all excited to meet me and everything. And he tells me, he's the owner. He's the owner of this company. I barely, he gave me his business card, so I barely even knew what his name is. And either, now that I know him, he's not, Definitely. The type of person that goes around telling everybody his life story. So it must be something either written on my face 
on my forehead, something. And that's people just tell me their life stories. That I never met in their life. I don't know. <laughs> he was a wealthy fellow. He got sick. Whatever, some surgeries, and then he lost everything. And he's starting anew. So I gave him a few the phone numbers here of the groceries here local. I said, go ahead, push, push. And um, we kept in touch. He said he wants to go to the hill. I told him he should go. He said he'd like to go, he'd like to go, he'd like to go. Finally, yesterday he was on his tail all day long. Until finally we went in the evening. And he said he's, he's having a hard time with, <laughs> with his Amunapshuta. With his faith in God. And it's, it's inevitable, unfortunately. <coughs> I have a tissue I didn't fully use. You want. Um, <laughs> it's an inevitability in that... It's here, it's clean. It's inevitability in that, that he says he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Where? He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Okay. Never lacked anything all his life. They came to get him married. God sent him a shidduch right away. It came to it came it came to having children Everything went smooth, yashar, glachalak. All of a sudden, where's all the girls? They all took home from Eishat Tzvi. My grandson was here before, and they all took him home. And, um, now all of a sudden, everything's fell down around him. Everything's fallen down to an extent that he has to. Uh, he comes home and his, and his wife wants something. He can't give. He can't supply. He can't anything. He, he's in a nightmare of a life, and he just he can't take it. He can't take his parting from it. I mean, and all we discussed I didn't promise him any rose gardens. I didn't promise him anything. We discussed the factor of faith. And when you deal with people like that, who never understood the flip side, it doesn't, it didn't register to him. In our lives, in my lives, I grew up with this all day long. All my life I grew up with the concept of Hashkach Pratis. The concept of today, there will be tomorrow, there isn't, all of a sudden there is, also there isn't. I, 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 uh, I'll meet somebody on the street. I'll be in a predicament of, of X, Y, and Z, and by an hour later, all of a sudden, things will just turn themselves around. It's not relevant how, what, when. Somebody called me up, an Italian fellow. Card is on the table, actually, still. He's at the envelope. He sent me today a Hanukkah card. He, he had a problem with the product that he's selling and everything else, the, the kashas, nice, except. So I had to call the Vada Kashas of the board that I was dealing with, and he went back and forth. I spent quite a lot of time on it. 
So he sent me a Hanukkah card with a substantial check thanking me. Thank you. Thank you, Hashem. Well, we can go through Hanukkah. How, what, when, where did this all of a sudden come from? Why did he call me? Where? <laughs> it's not. It's not anything of the abnorm. Yosef Atzadik lived that very life. He lived, I do according to what God wants me to do. Exactly God's dictate is exactly how I'm going to leave. When he came down and his brothers took him and sold him to Mitzrayim, did he, was he excited about it? He wasn't excited about it. He knew this was his lot. There's nothing to talk about. He didn't accept, he didn't protest it in a way saying that God, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, it's not, it's not acceptable. He was upset. He tells us, Medish tells us that on the way down they passed Kevin Rachel. And he fell in his mother's cave and he cried his heart out to his mother. Which is also one of the reasons it's called Beislachem. It's called the Hotel for Tfila. And um, the same way when the Jews went down to Bavel. They also sat, they stopped over there on the way down. Which is why she was put there. So was Yosef the strongest of strong to have gone through this and to go over it? No. We discussed last week the Vayimayin, the Shtarshalas, how he had to the trials, the tribulations that he went through. But we have to understand though, what transpired with Yosef's Midas. Where did he come from? Where did he end up? How does he deal with his actual brothers and the meeting between him and his brothers? The brothers come down to Mitzrayim and he gives them grief. <coughs> Yaakov Avinu understood that he has to watch out. He has ten handsome strapping sons. And he knows they're going to come into Egypt. They're going to make a lot of noise. And he understood if all ten of them entered one way, they're all going to cause havoc. So he told them, each one go a different way. Each one take a different, a different route. And they did. Each one came from a different entrance. That's your set that told us? Yaakov told them. And the idea was just that. Don't get in anyone's face. Don't get in anyone's eyes. Yosef was keeping a lookout for these boys. And Yosef, as the Apostle tells us, recognized them and they didn't recognize him. How strange. Everyone, all Mepharshim tell us, Yosef looked exactly like his father. Exactly. How did they not recognize him? Rashi brings something with his account that he left without and he came with, so he could have recognized But still, it doesn't make sense. The fact that Ben Chamesh the Mikra understands that he didn't have a beard before, now he has a beard, so they didn't recognize him. My question is something else. Ultimately, he looked exactly like his father. They should have seen their father's face. How did they not recognize his father? Yaakov wasn't there. Oh, no, Yosef. Yosef's father looked exactly like Yaakov. <coughs> but you're on the uh, right track, you just had the wrong train. How old is Yosef now? 
He was 17 when he was sold. About 30. 30. How old was Yaakov when he had his first child? 60? He was older. They never saw Yaakov at this age. So they couldn't recognize him. He might have looked like his father, but they, didn't, they never saw... The family album didn't show... His wedding album didn't have a picture of him looking like this. So with the beard and everything else, it didn't exactly go. You can go on with it, the question is still there, but... No, they didn't, they didn't see... They never saw this face. Father, you can see a father at the age of 60. The cluster upon him. Okay. The concept of cluster... Oh, so now the question... That's what we started going through. You don't think that Who had- was Yasef? That's if you, you came a little late. So you you right. missed a lot of this. Uh, I'm trying to get back. Okay, Yosef started, if we remember, the little boy that was walking around with a multicolored jacket. He used to comb his hair and he used to put on perfume. He was a geek. He was a little, little neb. And all of a sudden, he was a king. So we're not talking about just the look of the person. We're talking about the metzias of the person. His metzias never had this. How did he bring out a different middah from the middahs that a person, the attributes that a person usually has? How did he all of a sudden go from Chagas to Nahim, to, to all of a sudden to Malchus, to become, to bring out, everyone has it in them. The question is, how did he all of a sudden redevelop a different part of him to become such a leader? <coughs> the fact that he knew that his brothers had to be put in the ringer it's a different, a different issue. He knew they had to be put through the ringer, they had to be punished for what they did, they had to be... He saw that Ruch HaKedish was taken away, so he knew that he had exactly what to do the right idea. I want to just take a little detour for the uh, Pasha itself, since tonight is Hanukkah. I'd like to go into the Machlekes of Beshama and Bezillel, famous Machlekes of the candles. Do we light Mesa for Helech or do we light Helech for Pechas? Do we light each night more, an extra candle, like we do, or do we subtract each night? We light the first night eight and subtract each night one. Machlek is Beshamim Bezil. We're going to go into it in a moment. Before that, we'd like to, of course, have lived with the Parsha. We have to live with the Parsha. <coughs> and for laying Miketz, Miketz comes out always in Hanukkah. Why? What does Miketz have to do with Hanukkah? Out of all the Pashas in the Torah, every Pasha has at the end of the Pasha, how many Psukim are in this Pasha? It tells us how many Psukim each Pasha has. If we look at the end of Miketz, because we want to know how many Psukim, and it's very strange. It says, Kuf Mem Vav Psukim. And this Chumash doesn't say it. This Chumash here that I'm holding does not tell us how many words are in this week's Pasha. Forget the different Chumash. This Chumash has been beaten up. And we look here, Pasha's Miketz. At the end of this Chumash, Pasha's Miketz, it tells us Vahatevis and the words Alpayim Chafei. There are 2,025 words in this Pasha. No other Pasha does that. No other Pasha does tell us how many words are in the Pasha. We have a very interesting word in the Pasha, actually. Kadul Yosef Avreich. 
He called Yosef Avreich. Now, Avreich was two words. Av, Rach. Father, that's, that's soft. And there's a machlikis. Does the Bakr lane this Av, Rach, or Avreich? Is the lane this one word or two words? If we put it as two words, then the Pasha remains the 2025 um, words. If it's only one word, it won't. It'll be 2024. What's 2025? We light the candle. Every night we light a candle. What's a candle in Hebrew? A ner. Ner is nun reish, which is 250. How many, lights we, how many nights are we going to light? Eight. Eight times 250? 2,000. It's 2,000. What night, what day of the month of Kislev do we start lighting? Chafei. 2,025. That's one of the first connections that we have, Pasha Miketz with Hanukkah. 2025, at the end of the Pasha, why this Pasha is now counted, enumerated, for the 2025 words. Vayhi Miketz Nasayim Shana. It was the end of, 2000, of the two years they went to Target. All of a sudden, they all picked up the target. All my daughters. <laughs> no warning. Shnasayim um, is an acronym. Is it Rashi Tevis? Okay, good. I'm happy with it. Shnasayim is Rashi Tevis, an acronym. Smell, Neiros, Delkes, Tadlik. On the left side, you light. Your candles, Yemin, Mezuzah. And on the right side, you have the Mezuzah. So that's Shnasayim. Vahimikate Shnasayim. That the Shnasayim, why does it say Shnasayim? Shnasayim is Rosh Tevis. Again, connecting us with Hanukkah. And Shnasayim is written with only one yud, mind you. They sit down to have a meal. And the Pasik tells us, Tavach Tavach. It's a really nasty expression, though. Uh, no, it's not. It's actually probably next week. B'tzavayach Tavach is Gematria 44. There are 44 candles that we light throughout the whole Hanukkah. Add them up. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus the Shamasim. They tell them why we here in Mitzrayim. Shivu Shivru Lanu Ma'at Eichel. Give us some food. This is heavy. Shuvu, uh, Shivru, Shivru means to break. Lanu, we'll take the word Lanu and break it in half. Lanu is 86. 86 divided by 2 is 43. Me'at Eichel, take the word Eichel and give me the Me'at, the least, the smallest letter from the word. Aleph, Chof, and Lamed is Aleph. The 43, the Shivru from from Lanu, and the 1 from the Eichel is 44. Again, the 44 Nevis. Shivru is the Shon Shevel or the Shon? Yeah, the, here he's using it. It's supposed to be Tafilas. Here he's using it as the word Shivru, break Lanu. Shivru Lanu. 
So off the record, it says in Pasuk that Yosef took Osnas to marry her. Wait, how did he marry her? Married, did he convert her? Did he, where did she come from? Um, Osnas was the daughter of Dina. Yeah. Yaakov, Dina had a girl, and Yaakov gave her a kamea to wear around her neck. An amulet she wore always around her neck. When Yosef was parading down Main Street, Egypt, we're going to find that Main Street, Egypt has a lot of historical values, like that. Later, like a the frog marches down the same Main Street. Anyway, when he was going down for his inaugural uh, march down Main Street, the women were all throwing themselves at him. It says that Yosef was so handsome that the women were mesmerized by the way he looked. To an extent that if a woman was sitting and peeling a fruit with a knife, she started peeling her fingers and didn't even know it. He was so mesmerized by the looks of Yosef. So when he was coming down, everybody was throwing things and gifts to him to, to they should marry their daughter. She threw the Kamea. When he saw the Kamea from Yaakovinu, he knew that she was Jewish. Speaking of Jewish, speaking of Kameas, I told a story recently. I, think, I don't know if I told it last week or not. Yes, they're very, very in target. They're unbelievable. They go around literally trying on everything. They're not trying it on, just putting it on and dressing up and taking pictures of themselves like the, the girls. Um, Most annoying customer is a target. <laughs> <laughs> I did have the Macy's this weekend. It wasn't enjoyable. <laughs> Everybody's like, another guy that's just messing up the whole stand. There you go. <laughs> um, during World War Two. Told the story last week. They were te- they were gathering together. I didn't want to tell. I didn't tell it. They were gathering together, all the women of a town, to kill them, take them to the concentration camps. And they told them, "We know you Jews, really. Take whatever you can because you're not coming back." They told the story. So also there, the girl ultimately found a necklace. It's a whole. Long story, you can listen to it on the archive in that case. But it's at the end of the story, the girl was brought up as a Polish girl, and she found, she was told afterwards when, her, when the mother died, that she was actually Jewish, and she proved to her, because she had a necklace from her when she was an infant, and later she ended up being in Etzisrael, because the Rebbe told her to go to Etzisrael, and she married, she was from and everything, and by the bombing in the Sabaro restaurant, she found a girl, well, how she found the girl, with the grandfather, and that girl was wearing also the same necklace. She asked the grandfather, "How did you? where did you buy this? He said, I didn't buy it, I made it. I made it for my two daughters. And she's wearing the one from her mother, and the other one, Nebuch, didn't live. Didn't survive the war. And she showed him the necklace. That he, she did. She did survive the war. So we see that these kameas come out very, very useful sometimes. Not sometimes, always. 
Yesuf had a different problem here. If a person is dying, this is a strange off-color halacha, if a non-Jew is dying, and his choices of who, to what, to when, a Jew is not allowed to give him the, his food. So then how did he deal with this whole Egypt crisis, with the hunger crisis? And it's brought down that he commanded everybody to have a bris. The whole Mitzrayim had a bris. Therefore, there's no problem giving them food. Um, I used up. Oh, <laughs> the most prominent connection of this week's, of next week's parsha, Vayigash, which is going to be laid on Mincha. So Vayigash and Miketz always have a connection with Hanukkah. The Miketz actually usually Shabbos Hanukkah. If there's two Shabbos Hanukkahs, then you have a Yigash as well. Otherwise, a Yigash is minimally lain by Mincha of Shabbos, of Shabbos Hanukkah. They come to Yosef and he says to them, You asked me. They, no, Yehuda comes to Yosef screaming and he says to him, Adeni Shal, our master asked the Savad of Lehmi, your servant, saying, you have a brother or a father. When he meets them here, he starts to interrogate them. You're spies, you're spies. And they say, no, we're not. We are, you aren't, we are. And the whole dialogue that goes back and forth, and they finally come up with the idea that they tell them their whole life story, how their brother disappeared, their brother got lost, and their brother this, and their brother that. So he says, and that's why he ultimately wants them to bring down the brother, the Binyamin. See what he wanted his Binyamin, his brother. But they asked, you know, the testimony, Yeshachem, of Aach, you asked us. What of Aach? Yeshachem, Mishpach, if they wanted to have what's of Aach? Of is Aleph Beis, and Aach is Aleph Ches. You asked us, what do we hold? Do we hold like Shammai or do we hold like Hillel? Do we hold that Aleph on the first night we light one and the next night we light two, Aleph Bays? Or do we hold the first night Aleph we light Ches, we light all eight and then we light seven and six and five? And we said, Yesh Lonu of Zakin. We have the meaning of, of Aleph the first night and Bays the next night. Zakin, just like Hillel Hazakin. Give them a fourth of this. Just like Hillel Azokin. So again, there's another hint to Hanukkah, where we go according to the meaning of Hillel, the, the halach of Hillel over Shammai. What was the theory? What was the actual theory of Hillel and Shammai? Of increase, increasing and decreasing. Shammai was of the opinion you have to eradicate what's wrong. The bad has to be taken and destroyed. 
Shammai's opinion. Hillel's opinion was nothing. Hillel's opinion was, you take whatever you have, and you find the good in it, and by finding the good in it, you'll bring out the best out of it. Shammai said, the situation is horrific, we need all eight candles to burn. Once all eight candles are burning, then we can try to, once we totally wipe away the darkness, we can then start working on bringing about the light. Hillel said, we have to look into each and every little spark and find within it the light. The Yamada gives us a very interesting not machlekes, but a very interesting view of what happens here. The Yamada in Shabbos tells us there's an issue. What was the miracle? Actually, there's machlekes between the Rambam and the Meiri. The Rambam and the Meiri as to what is the what was the miracle? Was the miracle the war that they won the battle? Was the miracle they found the oil? If the miracle was they won the battle, when did they actually win the battle? According to Miriam, they won the battle on the 24th. And the whole concept of the battle was only a preparation for the miracle of Hanukkah. The Rambam says they won the battle on the 25th, and that this, the battle, and the miracle of Khan of the oil were hand in hand. The question is though, this is the famous question. Why eight days? The answer why eight days? Because the can the oil burned for eight days. So the first question we have about the oil burned for eight days is a wonderful story. But there was enough for one day. For one day there was enough oil. So the first day was not miraculous. The first day was no It was not no miracle. What was the miracle on the first day? <laughs> there was oil there. To this there are tons and tons of opinions. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. You put two Jews in a room and you have five, five opinions. Because they're such, it's all because of Tera. It's all about Tera. It's a beautiful thing. One opinion says the mere fact they found the oil was a miracle. So the first day's miracle was they found the oil. So we're celebrating the first day with oil because the fact they found oil. But we fully understand this, you have to understand another question. What did they find? They found a bottle of oil with the Kayin Gadol seal on it. Was the Kayin Gadol, did he have a Hashgacha company? What did he have a seal on it for? What is his seal doing on the oil? This particular Kayin Gadol at the time was Mahadrim and Mahadrim. He was extremely, extremely Muhudar in his mitzvahs. And he was so Muhudar in his mitzvahs, he was so careful about his mitzvahs, that when it came to his oil, he wanted his oil that he had prepared and he put away. And therefore he had his insignia on the on the oil. You don't find it anywhere else. And the rest of the Khan of didn't do this. So that was his pet not pet peeve, that was his his idea, his shita. 
And therefore, the concept, the mere fact they found his oil, I'm sure they found other oils, but the other oils he wasn't going to use. They found his oil was a miracle. So then you have as follows. One says that they had a question as to, you could split it in half, and each one have a half. I'm thinking about it. Give me that. There's no reason for it to sit there and get cold. <laughs> you can go get the sound cream, you'll be fine. Um, one opinion is that the Jews decided we have enough here only one day. We could divide this up, it's going to take us eight days to make oil. It'll take us eight days to make new oil. So let's divide this up into eight. As long as we light it every night. It'll burn for a minute, for, ten, for an hour, or whatever it'll burn. It won't burn the whole night like it's supposed to. But we'll be able to light every night. Until we get new oil. And what happened? They put in the minimum amount. And it lasted a whole night. On that sheet, according to that opinion, the miracle of the first night was that there was only oil for two hours and it burnt all night. Another opinion says that the oil's miracle, miraculous power of the oil was that they filled up the cup and they came in the morning and nothing was burnt. The light was burning, but the oil wasn't. The oil stayed the same, it stayed full. We're talking about a miracle here. How is it possible? In a dream, it says, a person can dream in a dream that an elephant went through the pin pin of a needle, the head of a needle. In a dream, you can do it. In a miracle, it happens. How do you catch an elephant, Taka? How do you catch an elephant? If you want to capture it, what do you need? Three things. You need binoculars, a tweezers, and a matchbox. The boxes, they hold the matches. You empty out the matches, and you take the binoculars, and you turn them around the other way. So the elephant becomes very small. You take the tweezers, you pop them in the box, and you can. It's not a problem. You do it all the time. A miracle... You can't ask a question anymore because it's not something that we understand. It's above nature. What happens, we spoke, this is what we talked about in the beginning, that Elohim is Gematria Hateva to teach us that everything that happens in a way that we look at nature. We see it naturally, of course it happened, naturally. It's the Abbott and Costello one. Huh? Who's on first, what's on second? Naturally. Um, happened. Sure, I understand that. The water flows downhill. All of a sudden, water's flowing uphill. Why? Because there was an undercurrent, and because there was a this, and because there was a that. They have recorded about Kriyas Yamsov. They have it exactly interpreted as a tsunami, as a whatever you want to call it, why it happened according to nature. Everything can be taken according to the world and scientifically proven how and what happened, except for a miracle. 
<laughs> what does that mean? Everything is a miracle. Till it comes to an actual miracle. Until it comes to the sick person that one of the son had a disease, had something wrong with them, and the next day there's none of it was found. There wasn't a trace of it. Until it comes to the, all these little nuances that ultimately kick in as a miracle. When that happens, then we start to think, oh, you know something? Yes, there's something to it, there's something behind it. So either they put in the oil full and the oil didn't get consumed at all, either they put in the oil full and the oil got consumed one-eighth, and each day only got consumed one-eighth, and therefore it lasted for eight days. Either they put in only an eighth, and therefore it still consumed, it burnt an entire night long. At the end of the day, the miracle was through the oil. And all that they're trying to do is find an excuse why we have the first day. The other seven days we're not asking about. We're not asking what was the miracle of the other seven days. It doesn't bother us if it was an eighth of a bottle, an eighth of a cup and it burnt the whole night, or if it was a whole cup and didn't burn at all, or if it burnt one eighth. It doesn't concern us how that happened. The miracle, the essence of the miracle, the first night, which is tonight. So the essence of tonight's miracle is that when they knew that everything was so destroyed and so desolate, and this, nobody said, no, yeah, we're not going to light the menorah. We didn't light till now, we're not going to light again. During the time of destruction and everything else, they were lighting the menorah now. They came back into the temple. It takes eight days, it takes eight days. The normal action of a person is Hands up. I throw my hands up. It'll take another eight days. It'll take another eight days. We waited so long, we'll get till we get our oil. But that was not the attitude. The attitude was they dug and dug and dug until they found. And this in itself was in something that is not the norm and not the nature of the person. And therefore this in itself showed itself as a miracle. We don't celebrate their persistence. We're not celebrating the fact that they were so aggressive and managed to find this. That's not the actual celebration. The actual celebration is the miracle of either the oil being found itself, the fact that the oil was found, or the fact that whatever the other ones, the other opinions that I said before. But we look at it as a miracle, a human miracle, something that we don't understand, that we can't interpret, and we can't find interpretation to. What gave them the drive to say, we're going to keep looking until we find, and they did not throw their hands up in the air and say, it's not shaykh, it's not possible, and we have to give up. And therefore, since that is the attitude of Hanukkah, that the minimal army said, we don't care what, the, what they're throwing at us, we're going to throw ourselves at them and destroy them. And the faith of the Eden that kept us going and kept us persevering, and therefore, it is that that we take tonight on this first light and we take this first candle the famous story of the candle that disappeared by the Rebbe's table after the Rebbe lit the Menera and then later on at night the Chassid came in beaten and breathless and he explained that a candle he was beaten up, captured in the forest and beaten up and a candle appeared in the middle of the forest and all of a sudden led him back and they understood that the Rebbe's candle had disappeared I went to bring back this chassid to the middle of the forest, and when the chassid walked in again, the candle will be lit. 
Reb Baruch, story of Reb Baruch. It's a famous, famous story, and unfortunately tonight, for some reason, we didn't tell it. We tell it every year, the first night of Hanukkah. And therefore, it's the Emunah uh, Pshuta. It's that Emunah that we have. Not the pure oil. Not the squeezing out of an oil that we're talking about. Not taking a person and making him kosis and taking him to the patish and bringing everything out of him through... But the, the beauty of the inner soul of the Jew, the purity of the Jew, the pure burning, the pure light, the pure light, the pure flame that we celebrate tonight and that we look forward to taking this very moment and this precious thought and feeling with us tonight to our ultimate redemption, Yerushalayim Rakhidish, and we should merit to see the Kayin Gadol light the Menorah this very night. Amen. 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 Amen.